this morning as we go to the Word of God, I want to read a passage of Scripture and ask that you keep it in mind before we go to the, before we go to the sermon. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, tells a story that, that I think we need to take to heart if we're going to understand what Jesus says to us. So I'd encourage you to turn there, follow along with me. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Scripture says, One of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And they could not pay. So he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are marvelous. You are immortal. You are invisible. And yet we can know you through Jesus and we can know Jesus through your word. And I ask right now that you would make your word come alive in each of our hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you know Jesus, you've already committed to follow him, you've been baptized and and you'd say, yes, I am a Christian then I want to talk to you a little bit about what Jesus wants you to do, how he wants you to live. And if you're here today and you are not sure about Jesus, and maybe you don't know very much about him, and you have not committed to follow him, you've not been baptized, I would say to you, number one, we are thrilled to have you with us, and you are always welcome at our church. We are a community of people that we love Jesus, and we want to welcome people because we want everyone to know Jesus. Uh, But number two, 
I hope that by the end of this message, as we've looked at one of Jesus' sermons, that you will love Jesus the same way we are all wanting to grow in love. That, that you'll see who he is clearly, and you'll see him so clearly that you'll want to know him. We are in Luke chapter 6, and, and normally I'm pretty careful to make sure that everybody can find it. Luke is probably three-quarters of the way through the Bible. It's a little bit of a larger book, so it's easy to find. You can go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the next one. If you hit the Gospel of John or Acts, you've gone a little bit too far. I would encourage you to turn there with me so that you can see the things for yourself in the scriptures that I'm going to be talking about. And I want to go through the last portion of a sermon that Jesus preached to his followers. Uh, we've been spending some time looking at Jesus and what the Bible says about him because a lot of people have ideas about who Jesus is. But if you don't look to the Word of God, you have no sense of if your ideas are right or wrong. And so we want to let the Word of God speak into our hearts and lives so that we really know who the Savior is. So that is what we've been doing in the Gospel of Luke. And this is actually the third message on this sermon that Jesus preached to his followers. Now that's really critical because Jesus is addressing people who are already following him. Today we would say he's addressing Christians, except at that time Christians didn't exist yet because he was still on earth ministering. And so people were listening to him preach and they were beginning to follow him. They didn't yet fully know who he was and what he would do as he died on the cross and rose from the dead. They knew he was speaking for God and they understood that he was calling people, all kinds of people, to come and find forgiveness for their sins. And so up to this point in time, Jesus has been preaching a message that says, the kingdom of God is here. Repent. Be ready for the kingdom. Be ready for the king by making sure that you find peace with God and ask for forgiveness for your sins. And at this time, he has a large crowd of people who are following him, and so he is addressing those people. These are people who know that they need their sins forgiven. They are going to represent him as they go out into the world and eventually spread all over the world. The apostles plant churches all over the world. That's why our church exists today, because in a long line spanning 2,000 years, people have continued to spread the message of Jesus. And so Jesus is addressing his followers so that they represent him faithfully. In this sermon, Starting out at the beginning, Jesus has promised amazing blessings for following him. Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, he says some shocking things, some surprising things. Blessed are you when you are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. He holds out that there is amazing blessing for following Christ, even if your life is hard right now. Not only does he promise those blessings, and, and he also issues warning that if, if you're satisfied now and you don't come to God and you don't need God, that your future is one that is very dark. He, he has warnings, but he balances those with the promise of future blessing. And then he describes a radical command to be like the Father, to be like God. He actually says, 
you need to be generous to everyone, even people who have hurt you, because your heavenly Father is generous. And so you are to be like your Father. And now at the end of this message, he demonstrates that you cannot do that unless your heart has been changed from the inside out. And to do that, he gives four commands. He shows what those commands mean from an internal perspective. And then he shows how we can have hope. So we're going to move from something that sounds impossible to something that clearly is impossible to something that gives each of us a way forward, something that gives us hope. So number one, the first point of my message based on what Jesus has said is that you and I need to be humble. And I'm going to read this first section of Scripture and you think, what does that have to do with humility? Bear with me. I want to make sure that we understand what Jesus said, and I think that's accurate. I think that's fair. So read verse 37 through verse 42 with me, and hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself... Do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The commands of Jesus at the beginning of these verses, and the parables that he tells about a blind man leading a blind man, kind of that humorous anecdote about someone with a log sticking out of their own eye, trying to take a little speck out of someone else's eye, Those are intimately related. You know that because Luke says he also told them a parable. In other words, he didn't just leave it at these commands. He illustrated what those commands mean to each of us with these parables. And so the two things ultimately go together and help us understand what each of them means. So so let's look at the four commands briefly. I'm going to take each of them. There are two negative ones and there are two positive ones. He says, do not judge, do not condemn. Those are the negatives. Don't do those things. And then he says, forgive and give. Those those are the positives. Those, Those are what we are to do. The first one is probably at least in our culture, in our time, the most famous verse in all of the Bible. Judge not, and you will not be judged. And I want to do something here. Number one, I want to address the kind of popular idea that I think is actually wrong, and say a word about why it's wrong. Because what a lot of people take this verse to mean is Jesus is saying, you don't ever look at someone else and say, you're in sin. Uh, And that is not what Jesus means. In fact, you can clearly see that 
in this context because the end of the passage I just read talked about once you have dealt with the log in your own eye, once you have dealt with your own monstrous sin, then you can see clearly to lovingly, carefully come alongside a brother or a sister and say, hey, I see this in your life and it's not right. Jesus actually, at the end of these verses, encourages you to do that. So he's not saying judge not in the sense of just have blinders, don't ever look at someone and say, I think what you're doing is sin. That's not what he means. And you can see that very clearly if you look at the rest of the New Testament and, in fact, the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is very bold and very blunt when he sees someone in sin. He calls them out. He's not afraid to do that. And he expects us to be like him. I think some of us you know, kind of already know that. When we hear judge not, lest you be judged, we almost, you know, sometimes get tired of it and, and kind of roll our eyes and say, that's not what it means. And then we feel this burden, we have to explain what it really means, kind of like what I just did. And we maybe forget that the command of Jesus still stands. He is saying to me and to you, do not judge. And it's not enough for us to just say, that's not what it means. We also have to wrestle with, What does it mean for me and for you? Especially, and I'm especially talking to those of you who would say, man, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. What does Jesus mean to you when he says, judge not? Because he does say that. And so that's why I read before this message, that passage from just the next chapter over, actually. And I would mention, by the way, when we see something in Scripture that's sometimes hard to understand, the best thing you can do, don't search all the Scriptures until you look right around the Scripture you're looking at. And what Jesus is saying is so clearly illustrated in the story of Simon the Pharisee and this woman. And we don't even know her name. But she comes to him in tears, and she is broken, and she is weeping. And you see Simon exercise the exact kind of judgment that Jesus is condemning. Notice, if you remember what I read just a moment ago, Luke says, this woman is a sinner. If you want to turn back there, you can see it with me. It's just a page over. Verse 37 of chapter 7 says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. There's no denying that. And Luke is is not breaking the command of Jesus in admitting that this woman did things that God says are sinful. But notice the difference. Notice what happens when she comes to Jesus. She comes weeping because she's not unaware of her own sin. She comes in grief because of who she is and the brokenness that she's experienced in her life, acknowledging her own guilt. She doesn't just point fingers. She comes broken, acknowledging her responsibility for her sin. And she comes to Jesus, I believe, because she knows she'll find forgiveness. Maybe she'd heard about how he healed the paralytic and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And maybe that gave her hope. Whatever the reason, she comes obviously with an attitude of repentance because of her tears and obviously with an attitude of humility elevating the Lord Jesus Christ as she gives sacrificially and and weeps in His presence and, and shows real love for Him in a beautiful way. And Simon, looking at this woman who is in grief, who is repenting, thinks to himself, not only is this woman a sinner, But he says, Jesus must not be a prophet, because if he were, he would know what kind of woman this was, and he would have nothing to do with her. 
He not only dismisses the woman, he dismisses Jesus. He has judged her. The kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about is not one that is blind to sin. It's the kind of judgment that pushes people away and outside of the kingdom of God that says, that person must be beyond redemption. We sometimes humorously say, and I don't think we should actually, but sometimes we'll say things like, even Jesus can't fix that. But he can. And when we say it of people, it's a terrible thing, even in joking. Jesus can heal and fix anybody. And the kind of judgment that he is saying to you and me, and I would say this applies within the church and outside the church. If you get frustrated with people, make sure that your heart doesn't change and you don't dismiss them and say, man, that kind of person, there's just no hope. They're never going to change. They're always going to be that way. Because the reality is, Jesus is such a great Savior, he can save anybody, and he will save anybody. And so Jesus is saying to you and to me very clearly, do not have a kind of attitude that condemns other people. In fact, that's the next thing that he says very clearly. He says not only judge not and you will not be judged, he says condemn not and you will not be condemned. It's a very similar attitude. Condemnation is the end of judgment. Simon condemns this woman because he cuts her off from Christ. He says she should have no access to the Savior. And if that's the case, there's no hope. If we as a church give up on types of people because we think that they won't respond to the gospel, we cut them off from Christ and we pronounce condemnation on them. Even if we don't stand up and say, man, that person's going to hell. If we fail to bring the Savior to them, and if we fail to bring the gospel to them, our inaction is still cutting them off and condemning them. Because in our hearts we've said, man, that person's hopeless. So he says, do not judge, do not have that kind of attitude, and do not have that kind of final judgment where you say this person is hopeless. Not only that, Jesus says positively, forgive and you will be forgiven. See, forgiveness is related to judgment and condemnation because what it does is it recognizes I deserve judgment and condemnation and God has forgiven me. That's, that's what Jesus says at the end of that episode with Simon and the woman. He says, the person who has been forgiven much loves much. And if you love, you are willing to forgive other people even when they do you harm and do what's wrong. And so Jesus says, not only do not judge and do not condemn, but positively forgive and you will be forgiven. He recognizes that your actions towards other people demonstrate what God has done in your heart and in your life. And if you fail to forgive, you're demonstrating that you've not experienced the forgiveness of God for yourself. And the last command that he has is actually the most broad. He just says, give, give generously. Earlier in this sermon, Jesus has said in verse 30, he says, Give to everyone who begs from you, and to one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. He commands a kind of radical generosity. It means we might lose our stuff. But he promises, when you are generous with others, God will give back to you. You've heard the phrase, you can't outgive God. It can be abused. We ought not try to manipulate God by saying, Dear Lord, I'm going to give you this five bucks and, and please give me ten. That's not what he's saying. 
But what he is saying is, your heavenly father is generous. And when he sees you being obedient, he will bless you. Now, the earlier part of this sermon makes it clear, you might not experience that blessing until you see Jesus face to face. You might live a life that is difficult, that is painful, but it'll be the best life that you possibly could have. Your heavenly father makes sure that everything in your life is for your good and for his glory. And so when Jesus says, give and it will be given to you, he not only says it will be given to you, he says, press down, shaken together, running over, and it will be put in your lap. You can't miss it. The Father's generosity is that good. So what Jesus is saying is that the way you ultimately treat others demonstrates your relationship with God. And the goal, if you are a disciple, remember Jesus is speaking to disciples, is to take what God has done in your heart and to spread it around so other people find the same forgiveness and the same joy and the same generosity coming from the Father. If you are a good disciple, that's what happens. And so that's why he then goes and talks about dealing with your brother. When you've dealt with your own sin first, then you can help your brother. And so the two things go together, and then it describes not only are we to be humble people, Jesus is saying be humble, recognize your own sin, recognize your need for a Savior, don't put yourself above others, but humble people help. And I want to tie these few verses to what was just said specifically about helping your brother when he does have a speck in his own eye. So read with me verses 43 through 45. Jesus continues his sermon. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good And the evil person, out of the evil treasure of his heart, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Okay, why is Jesus talking about trees? What what does this mean? And most importantly, how is it connected to what he just said? I think one of the most important words in this passage, in English, it is the very first word in verse 43. It's the word for. For What that word does is it lets you know what Jesus is about to say is giving you an explanation for what he has already said. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. How does that tie in with what Jesus has just said? What he is meaning is that the good fruit that comes from a humble, forgiven heart is able to help and change people around you. When you have experienced God's forgiveness, and you see your brother with a speck in his eye, the good that is in your heart will help that person. It will not hurt them. You don't condemn them because you see their sin. Instead, you say, I know a Savior who can forgive you and love you and heal you. And you don't ignore their sin and leave them to destruction. You come alongside them and say, 
Jesus forgave me, and I know he will forgive you. And that happens just like a tree produces fruit. Now, think just for a second about trees and and about what Jesus is saying. Do trees actively, purposefully do anything to produce fruit? Have you ever seen a tree move to a sunnier part of your lawn? They feel like, man, I need to sink in some rays and, and this fence is blocking, blocking my sun. They don't, they don't move. They don't do anything like that. Have you ever seen a, a, a tree transplant itself to richer soil? You know, like this, this soil is kind of lousy. So I'm going to go over there where, where, you know, we've got some, some good mulch and some good nutrients. No, trees are stationary. They sit there. They do nothing. They sit, and by nature of what they are, they produce the fruit according to the kind of tree they are. And it's the same way with people who are believers. If you are connected to Almighty God by faith in Jesus Christ, God is going to produce fruit in you and through you. That means as you have experienced forgiveness, you will affect the people around you in such a way that that forgiveness and that love spreads. And people will find the same sort of forgiveness and the same sort of love as you continue to be who you are and who Christ made you to be. If you genuinely know the Lord, you actually can't stop that. God is going to work through you. Now, you might be able to hinder it, Jesus might have some words to you about being a good and faithful servant if you haven't faithfully served him, but you will produce fruit. Jesus says the opposite is also true. If you are not a genuine follower of Christ, if you have not come to him and asked for your sins to be forgiven, if you have not been baptized and followed him in obedience, no matter what you try, you will not produce lasting fruit. You might rightly see someone in sin. You might rightly see some dysfunction in other people's lives. And if you try to fix it, it will have no eternal value whatsoever unless you are connected to Jesus Christ. So humble people who have been changed by the Lord really do help. Finally this morning... You might hear that and say, well, good grief, if I can't change the kind of tree I am, I am what I am, in one sense, that almost seems hopeless. How can you produce fruit? Jesus is saying you're going to be judged by your fruit. And in fact, you can't actually stop or change the kind of fruit you produce. So what do you do? Well, the last point today is that humble people come to Jesus continually. Now, he's preaching this to his followers. He's preaching it to people who have already come to Jesus. But he ends this message with some clear indications of what to do if you have heard him and if you understand what he's saying. And so I want to lay out very clearly the three things that he says and the results of doing them or not doing them. So read with me verses 46 through the end of the chapter. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do What I tell you, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house 
and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus begins by by asking the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Well, the, the word for Lord is a word that indicates high authority. You don't just treat Jesus like he has a pretty good opinion. You don't just treat Jesus like he's one of many teachers and you like to take what you like from each of them. Jesus occupies a place in your life where he has ultimate authority. He is a king and there is no king above him. He is it. The troubling thing that he says is it's possible to pay lip service to that position and say, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and yet not actually do what he says. But here's the verse that I think is full of hope and what I would say to you today and what I cling to. Jesus says, everyone, not a small group of people, not a certain kind of people, he says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Jesus says, you come, you hear, and you do. And if you do those things even though storms are going to come, you will not be shaken. Jesus also says that if you don't do those things, it is certain that your life will be destroyed. He holds out two options. You can come to Jesus or you can ignore him. You can hear him and and disobey or you can hear him and obey. There are only two options. If you come to him and call him Lord and don't follow through, there is no benefit. You may well have have not come at all. So it's very important that, that we think through what do each of these three things mean. And I want to end this message by giving you just a little bit of an of a description of, of what I think we should take home and what, what we should do as a result of this. How do you do each of those three steps? How do you first come to Jesus? You know, it's, it's another one of those phrases like, you gotta come to Jesus moment, where it, where it changes your life, it changes everything. But biblically, it's a little bit more than that. It's not just a light bulb going on in your head. When you come to Jesus, you come recognizing that you are a sinner and He is the Savior. That He will forgive your sins. You come to Jesus when you follow Him in obedience and you are baptized. And when you do that, you are committing your life to follow Him. So you come to Jesus by recognizing who you are and who He is and obeying His specific commands. We're going to celebrate communion in a moment. And I would add, you come to Jesus as a believer regularly remembering His blood was poured out for you and His body was given for you so that your sins could be forgiven. You and I continue to come to Jesus when we bring Him our sins and ask for His forgiveness or healing. I said something at the beginning of this message. If you're not sure if you're a follower of Jesus or if you've never done that, for you, my my takeaway for this today would be 
Come to Jesus and ask for the forgiveness of your sins, and He will forgive you. But not only should we come to Jesus, we also ought to hear His words. Now, now, generally speaking, I would say this whole book is the, the words of Jesus, Genesis to Revelation, and we need them all. And so we hear Jesus' words as we read the Bible, as we listen to preaching. But specifically, for, for you and I today, the words of Jesus are found in verses 37 through verse 49. Pay attention to what he said specifically. Because if you say, you know, I follow what's in the Bible, but you never talk about specific verses, it's completely possible to just be a hypocrite. So today, pay attention to what Jesus has said about your heart attitudes towards other people, about not judging, about not condemning. Pay attention to what he said about forgiving. If you're holding a grudge today, before you take communion, you need to settle that in your heart. So pay attention to the words of Jesus by hearing them. And then not only hear them, but do them. There's always a possibility that that you let different things crowd out the words of Jesus. So you maybe heard them and then they you know, fell out of your head and you forgot them. That happens to me all the time. One of the daily struggles I have is, is I'm pretty good at reading my Bible every day. But man, remembering it an hour later, I, I don't always do that as well as I'd like to. And if I don't remember, I certainly can't put it into practice. I can't do it. So, so come to Jesus. Acknowledge you're a sinner. He's a Savior. Listen to Jesus. Make sure that you take in His Word. Specifically this morning, this Word. And then finally... Do what he says. That might mean today you may need to repent. You might need to ask for forgiveness from a brother or a sister within our church or or, or from a neighbor. And I would urge you to do that, to obey. You may need to ask God for help obeying. You and I can't do this in ourselves, but God can do it in you and through you. And God loves to give us help when we ask for it. So let's pray and ask for his help. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I I pray that you would do this work in us. God, make us the kind of people that, that recognize you really do forgive our sins. Give us the kind of joy of forgiveness. And Lord, I ask that you would produce fruit in us. Lord, may the forgiveness and love that we have from you bless the people around us. And make us faithful to hear and to obey. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.